Oh, just peachy. <clears throat> I'm, I've had all the fish sticks I can eat. <laughs> so in honor of Kathy coming home tonight, I set out T-bones. Now, she loves me when I get home, they'll be cooked. <laughs> yeah, she's home. She might not be home yet. We'll see. But uh, she's on her way back, so praise God for that. If you got your Bibles with you, open up the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to continue again through Moses' final words that he's laying out for a new generation getting ready to enter into the promised land. The generation that went before them had failed. They had fallen short. And so this is like an opportunity for that generation that had failed to turn over to the young and say, guys, this is where we went wrong. You know, do, do different than us. Every one of us, of, of us as parents has done that for our kids. If you haven't, you will. The time will come when you try to lay out for your children, hey, guys, this is, what, this is where I went wrong. This is where you can do right. This is where you can do better. So that's what he's laying out for them. That's what he's trying to, to deliver for them. And so Moses does it through uh, three sermons and some commentary on the, on the law, the law that God had given to them. So he begins in chapter 19. He says, Now when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses... You will separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So he's saying, now, when you guys get in there, you're going to set aside three cities. Now, already, three previous cities had been set aside as cities of refuge. That's what he's talking about, cities of refuge. And he's going to lay out what a city of refuge is for. Three of them were on the east side of the Jordan. Three of them were on the west side of the Jordan. They were to make sure that those cities always had open road access to every one of them. Always. If something happened, if a, a dirt road got washed out, something occurred so that you couldn't get to them, they had to fix it right away. Because a city of refuge was where someone who was in trouble could go. Somewhere where they could run. Somewhere where they could flee to, to, to ensure uh, in the cases he's going to talk about here, a fair trial for, for whatever they were going on. Think about this. The nation of Israel never had a police force. Sorry, Rusty. Never had a police force, and they never had a prison. They didn't do that. They, they had simple rules. A, if you do A, B happens, period. If you do this, this is what happens. Nobody's worried about anything else. It's just if, if I, for example, if I stole and I was caught stealing, I paid back double whatever I took. If I was not able to pay back double what I took, I would enter into a period of slavery that not to exceed seven years to work off that amount, whatever that amount was. When that amount was worked off, I was set free. And so there was a, a very rigid... And an understandable legal system that the nation of Israel were given by God. Here's how it should be done. This is how it should go. But understanding that at this time in the world, what ruled was Lex Talionis. You ever heard of that? Lex Talionis. That's the law of retribution. 
The law of retribution says, if you sock me, I'm going to sock you. If you hit me twice, I'm going to hit you four times. I'm going to hit you so many times, you never want to hit me again. Because that's the heart of man, right? So the Lord tempered that. And we'll see it tonight as we come to the end of the chapter, close of that chapter. That's that verse we've already read before. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. That's not meaning to make sure I take retribution. It's saying it's got to be equal. It's got to be equal. If, if this occurred, then that happens. The punishment has to fit the crime. It shouldn't go beyond. In our country, we call it cruel and unusual punishment, right? There should be no cruel and unusual punishment. Same way, that's what the Lord was saying, with eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. And he's going to lay those concepts out, but they're built around, or built around those concepts, is the idea of the cities of refuge. Now remember, when we look at the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, what do we want to be looking for? We want to see Jesus. We should see Jesus in the stories. We should see, see Jesus in the things that are going on. We should be able to see Jesus in the cities of refuge. So let's take a look. <clears throat> so they're supposed to set up three of them. You will divide, or you, will, you shall prepare the roads yourself, and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. So they are to take the country and cut it into thirds. And on one side of the Jordan, three cities of refuge. On the other side of Jordan, three cities of refuge. And those cities of refuge were set up for the manslayer. Again, no police department. This is how they, this is how they did it in case there was a, a murder or a, a manslaughter. Look what he said in verse 4. This is a case of the manslayer that flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in times past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor and he's cutting down a tree and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, but the head slips off the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. So he shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and kills him, though he was not deserving of death, since he has not hated the victim in time past. So this is what the city of refuge was all about. The guy who was not guilty of murder, but it killed someone accidentally, had a place to go, a refuge, from the avenger of blood. Now maybe you've heard the avenger of blood spoken of a different way. In the book of Ruth, the avenger of blood is called the Goel, kinsman redeemer, right? If you were in debt and you couldn't pay your debt someone near of kin could pay that debt for you but you see the goel the kinsman redeemer had a flip side to that coin that was if someone killed you it was his responsibility to make sure that justice occurred so the avenger of blood would go life for life right that's god's rule Life for life. If you spill man's blood, by man, your blood should be spilled. Life for life. That was God's plan. So the avenger of blood would do it. No police. The avenger of blood would go. But see, what God's saying here, what if the avenger of blood is, is angry, he's hot-headed, he hears about somebody being killed, it was an accident. So God said, I want you, the, the guy who's guilty of manslaughter, you go to one of these cities. 
Make sure that you divide the country in thirds so it's never a super long journey for you. It's a journey that can be made. And you make that journey, you go to the city of refuge, you present yourself to the elders of that city, the city of refuge, and they ensure that you have a, a, a trial that takes place. And if you're found guilty of manslaughter, then you can stay in the city of refuge and you never have to worry about the avenger of blood. If you stay in the city of refuge. If you leave the city of refuge, you're open game. But if you stay in the city of refuge, you're safe. As long as what you did was, was manslaughter. It wasn't murder. And the Bible tells us what murder was. He talks about premeditation, right? You didn't hate him beforehand. It was an accident. Accident that, that occurred, you could still remain free in those cities of refuge. So, let's back up and take a look at the six cities that they chose. It's not in the, in the scripture, I'll just give them to you. The, the three... On one side of the Jordan is Kadesh, Naphtali, Shechem, and Hebron. And then the three on the other side, uh, on the, side, uh, the other side of Israel, on the Jordan River is Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. You heard of Golan, right? It's still in the news today. Golan. It was a city of refuge. <clears throat> um, Shechem and Hebron, they're still cities today, same way. So we have these three on each side. So if you're on one side of Jordan, you didn't have to cross the river. Go to the city. Go to that city of refuge. In that city of refuge, you might find peace. You might find there the opportunity to have a, a fair trial and not to be afraid of what the avenger of blood would do. But then he goes on. In verse 7, he says, Therefore I command you, you will separate these three cities for yourself. Now the Lord your God enlarges your territory... As he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give your fathers. And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. Lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. The Lord lays out for us, in the law, in the, in the Old Testament, that bloodshed spoils the land. Now think with me, back to the book of Genesis. Everybody remembers Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, they fall. Eve gives birth <clears throat> later on to a couple of sons, right? And those two boys' names, everybody should know them, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, they're, they're developing their own relationship with the Lord. And each of them is bringing an offering to God. Abel's is received and Cain's is rejected. And then Cain, in a fit of anger, killed his brother, right? The first murder recorded in Scripture. Cain killed his brother. Do you remember what the Lord said? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. His blood spoils the ground. In the land, God cares about justice. He cares that justice occurs, that justice happens, that these things are done. When it's not done, the Lord says, the land is spoiled. The blood cries out to me, cries out to God. This lack of justice, this uh, lack of concern for, for different cases, whatever has gone on, the Lord is saying that spoils the land. It ruins it. 
it ruins it. And it needs to be something that, that we care about. It needs to be something that, that people understand and, and take seriously. Well, Jackie, if what you're saying is true, then somewhere in all this, we should be able to see Christ. And it's amazing because in the book of Hebrews, it says he is our refuge. Where do we run when we're guilty? Run to Christ. And as long as we are abiding in Christ, we're safe, ain't we? If you're not abiding in Christ, then what happens? If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you're in yourself. And the avenger of blood. Who's the avenger of blood? The same as the Redeemer. Who's the Redeemer? Jesus Christ. When he stood up in Nazareth and he read Isaiah 61 and he said, Listen, I've come to give, to give, uh, to bind up the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to heal the lame, to proclaim to you the acceptable day of the, of the Lord. You guys remember that, right? And then he closed up the book, Isaiah 61. He closed up the book and he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah and I've come to heal. But you know that that, he didn't read the whole verse, right? Because the last part of that verse, the last section, the last part of the sentence, he stopped at a comma, said, and the day of vengeance of our God. And he will come for the day of vengeance of God. Because either man stands redeemed in Christ, or man stands unredeemed in himself. One case... The Lord is our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, the one who redeems us and is our refuge. In the other, he is the avenger of blood. In Isaiah, it goes on to tell us the avenger of blood coming and trampling the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And people ask him, where did you get all these stains all over you? And he says, from trampling the enemies of God. There is either being in Christ Jesus... Or being outside of Christ Jesus. So we see in these cities of refuge the same kind of a concept. A place to go. A place wherein we can find peace. The scripture goes on to tell us how long you had peace. You could live in the city of refuge until the high priest died. Who's our high priest? Is he going to die? He died once, right? Now he's a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He will never not be high priest. So is there ever a time when we're not going to be safe? No. He won't die. We'll always be at home with him. For the, for, in this case, for them, when the high priest died, they were free to go back wherever they wanted to go. From that point, they couldn't be touched any longer. But we see a, a little bit of a, a shadow, a picture of Christ in regard to that. Now... In verse 11, he's going to focus in on on murder. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, and rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there. I want you to hear that. The elders from his city. Sometimes we think today, well, you know, he doesn't live here anymore, so he's not our problem. The Lord said, if a a guy committed murder and ran somewhere else, it was the elders of that city's responsibility to go get him and bring him back. He couldn't stay in the city of refuge. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of murder. If you commit murder, if you shed man's blood, by 
man, your blood shall be shed. A first law that God laid out in the book of Genesis after Cain and Abel, that there was to be blood for blood. The elders of his city will send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he might die. So who was the one that executed, who took that, uh, that punishment upon himself? The avenger of blood, the goel. The same that was the kinsman redeemer was also the one who brought the judgment. If that judgment was death, then from his hand, the first stone would fly. And, it, and they would be stoned in that place. In verse 13, he says, listen, your eyes shall not pity him. But you will put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. See, God says that there is the guilt of innocent blood. Someone, was, someone killed someone, and it was murder, and they're not uh, uh, prosecuted for what they've done. God says, then, the land is stained with innocent blood. It's not okay. It's not right. Their blood it cries out to God. Their blood cries out to him. So the Lord says, hey, if you want it to be good, if you want it to be right, the innocent blood needed to be purged, and it needs to be purged by justice coming upon the one who took innocent blood. Then he goes on and talks now about the thief. In verse 14, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which men of old have set in your inheritance, which... You will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. See, when they went in and possessed the land, they set up borders with the stones. They would go out and build like a little, a, a, a little uh, a pillar of stone at the four corners of their land. But there's nothing that would keep your neighbor from coming and moving your stones in and giving him more land. Well, God says... Hey, that's stealing. Thou shalt not, what? Steal. Don't move those stones. Don't go in and rob from your neighbor. And what would occur more often is, a man would die, leave behind a a widow and a a family, and she's not really aware of where all those things are, and the neighbors would start ripping off land. Ripping off land from the poor, from the needy. Taking advantage God cares about justice. A lot of people, one of the things I know people struggle with when they, when they talk about God is they look at the world and they see the injustice of the world and they, and they ask the questions, why? Why? How can you believe in God? How do you put your faith and trust in a God that allows all this to occur? That allows all this injustice to take place? Listen, God's not allowing it. Everyone will pay. Everyone will pay. There will be a day of the retribution of all things. Jesus Christ will have perfect righteous judgment, either in him and forgiven or out of him and paying the price. But what we look at when we see the way the world is today, we're looking at a world who has rejected him, aren't we? A world that has rejected God, a world that has rejected his word, a world that has rejected the truths that he lays out, and then complains about the consequences of that same rejection. We cast out and say, I don't want you to rule over me, Lord. And then we cannot, on the other hand, say, God, why do you allow all these things to take place? We cast him out. 
We said, we'll save ourselves. We'll take care of ourselves. <clears throat> so the Lord is working. The way that God is working at this time, he's working, he's showing, he's allowing man to, to bear witness to his choice. The consequences that have occurred. And for those of us who put our faith and trust in him, then we put our faith in him, that God knows what he's doing. And the Lord will make all accounts come out balanced at the end. Nobody's going to feel ripped off by God. Scripture declares righteous and true are his judgments. Always. Every single time. So we don't want to steal. And that idea of stealing that he lays out in verse 14 is also taking advantage or passing laws that, that affect the poor and not the rich or any number of things. And it really is the basis, that being the, um, the, the commandment, thou shalt not steal, breaking that commandment, that being the, the basis of one of the, the qualms or charges God had against Sodom and Gomorrah. That you have much, but you don't care about the poor and the needy. The Lord says, that's stealing. That's stealing. Ripping them off. He tells us that in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29. He goes on in verse 15 to talk about the liar. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And the matter will be established. So one person didn't come against you. Had to be by the mouth of two or three witnesses. <clears throat> we see Paul saying the same thing in regard to the church. You don't hear something if it just comes from one person. It should come from two or three, two or three witnesses before something is established. And, verse 16, if a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy will stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed... If the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. Well, that square away a lot of perjury. So basically, if, here's the rule. If you're lying against someone and the charge against them was murder, your accusation is that they were a murderer, then you paid the penalty for a murderer if you lied against them. If you lied and said they stole, you paid the penalty for the, the, the stealing. Whatever the lie was, you paid that penalty. So they took it very seriously, this idea of, of bearing true witness. Faithful and true. Speaking the truth in love. Laying out the truth of God. He says, listen, we want to have an attitude that says... I only want to bear witness to the truth. So if I lie, whatever I lied against, in a court of law, whatever I lied against, that was my penalty. That's what I paid. So if I accused a brother of stealing a sheep from me, but I lied, and they said, you have lied, we find that you have perjured yourself, then I paid him double as though I had stolen from him. So that was the way that, uh, that the Lord dealt with liars, those who would bear false witness against one another. Verse, uh, verse 19 goes on, Then you will do to him as you thought to do to his brother, and so you will put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. 
See, the Lord lays out that this is how you stop crime. Not by telling someone that that's, it's about where they grew up or how they grew up or how their mom or dad treated them. You had, if you do this, this is what happens. When I was first coaching football, um, you always have issues come up that you have to deal with. Or what are you going to do if A happens, B happens? And you want your, your, your judgment to be square right across. And it was kind of arbitrary in the beginning, caused a lot of grief. So later on, I decided, well, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to build a list. Here's our list, the, the however many commandments of football. If you do A, B happens. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. You Here's the form. You understand. If you are late to practice, then you will run a mile. I don't care if you were late for practice because it doesn't make any difference. If you were late, this is what happened. It, it, and, and so justice could be leveled across a level playing field and everybody paid the same price. And you know, it's amazing how little problems I had after that. Because it was all the same. It's amazing how little problems you would have in a justice system. Do you, do you hear anything about an appeal? I want to appeal. Well, they found that evidence, but they, they didn't ask if they could come in or they didn't have a warrant. Who cares? If you had it in your house and it proves you're guilty, how does that let you off? Well, that's illegal search and seizure. That's nonsense. There was no such thing there. None. The only people who complain about illegal search and seizure is criminals. If you're not a criminal, what are you worried about? If someone comes through and wants to search your car when you get pulled over, if I don't have a bunch of pot or coke or something in the, in the trunk, you know what? I don't care. I got monsters, empty monster cans. And so far, that's still okay. So, and if it's not okay, I'll stop drinking monsters. But the idea is by strictly confirming to a legal system, and that's what he's talking about here, a legal system, that you keep all that evil out of your midst and you, you help people understand the difference between right and wrong. If you spend all your time saying it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's amazing how much it's not anybody's fault. Well, it's not his fault that he did this because of the way he grew up. doesn't make any difference. When I study Revelation chapter 20, I discover that uh, the, the circumstances that a man grows up in has no effect on what he is. None. Because when Jesus Christ rules as king and there's perfect justice in a land and there's no sickness and no death and everything's good, people still rebel. Because the heart of man is wicked. And that heart has to be tamed. And this is how, that's what the Lord is laying out for us here. In, uh, in verse 19, he's saying, This is what you will do to him uh, as though you would have done to his brother, so that you will put away evil from among you. So that people understand. Before I bear false witness against somebody in a court, if I knew I'm going to carry out his sentence if I lie, I'm not lying. Today, you perjure yourself, get slapped on the wrist, you get uh, maybe a fine levied against you, told not to do that again, and go home. Doesn't stop you from lying. 
Shoot, we have congressmen who perjure themselves. Still be congressmen. See, God says that it shouldn't be that way. There should be justice in the land. In verse 21, he says, your eye will not pity life for life. If someone murders, they lose their life, period. Doesn't mean they can't be saved. Doesn't mean they're not redeemed, that they have no value to God. But God says, I don't care where, why, when, premeditated murder, life for life, period. Period. Cross the board. Then the lex talionis, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The punishment must fit the crime. Nothing above, but it had to just be that straight across punishment. And that was the way the Lord wanted the nation of Israel to conduct their legal issues. Now I want you to keep in mind, this is not a country that only existed for a little while. From the time of Abraham growing through Jacob in Egypt, through the, the wilderness wanderings into the promised land, through the kingdom of Saul and David and Solomon and the kings that would follow, no prison, no police force. Hey, applied the way God laid it out, everything would have been okay. Problem was, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. People look at what God says and they say, oh, but, but, but your eyes shall not pity life for life. Now, verse 20 or chapter 20 goes on and he looks at war. Okay, again, he's laying out. Listen, guys, my generation failed. Your generation, it's your time. It's your time to go. If you want to succeed, this is how the legal system ought to work. We, we, we failed. You want to succeed? This is important. Then he talks to them about war. They're getting ready to go to war, right? So he lays out for them how that ought to be. In chapter 20, verse 1, he gives them the, the, the Lord's assurance. When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So the first thing he tells them is the Lord's assurance. Doesn't matter how big the problem is, how difficult the problem looks, how dangerous it is, no matter any of those things, the Lord is with you. Period. God's with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What's never? Never means he will never do it, right? <laughs> so no matter how dark the night, no matter how stormy the storm, doesn't matter. He is with me. Isn't that what they said in the 23rd Psalm? The psalmist right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Then he changes the pronoun from, from you, or from him to you. Like he's looking now, instead of talking to you, now he looks up and he's talking to the Lord. Because you're with me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me, God. That Lord is with you. The first thing that he would tell them. <clears throat> then you have the assurance or, or the encouragement from the priest. And the priest says in verse 2, So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest will approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart be faint. Do not be afraid. 
And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, he goes with you to fight for you. The Lord goes with you to fight for you. So the priest, when he would come, he would tell them, look up. (laughs) He would say to the people, look up. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God is with you, and he's going to fight for you. He's going to fight. Who does the battle belong to? The battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't matter. Does it matter what the battle is? What if the battle is a mounting bills and an inability to pay? The battle's still the Lord's, isn't it? What if the battle is against cancer or illness or sickness? The battle is still the Lord's. He may guide you a lot of different ways, a lot of different treatments, a lot of different things that you can do, but it doesn't change the reality. The first thing the priest would tell the armies, look up. God is with you. God's going to fight the battle for you. God's going to do a work against your enemies to save you. Then they would receive encouragement from the officers. And the officers would say, look back. Verse 5, and the officers will speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. These are the rules of whether or not they could serve. You built a house and you haven't lived in it yet? Go home. Go home. Go live in the house. The, the army's going to be Okay. If you had never lived in your home, hadn't used it, you didn't fight. How can you fight a battle if you're so busy looking back at your things that are left undone, unfinished? He said, nobody else is going to live in your house before you. Go home and live in your house. So they didn't take them. So he, the, the, the officers would say, look back. Is there any unfinished business behind you? Your home's not finished? Go fix it. Verse 6, also what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Oh, you planted a vineyard, but you haven't harvested from it yet? Go home. Go home. How do you fight for land when you don't feel like you have any part of it? I don't have a home. I don't have a harvest. I don't have a family. So the rule for the nation of Israel was, if you hadn't lived in your house yet, go home. Live in your house that you built. You haven't harvested the the fruit from your vineyard? Go home and harvest the fruit of your vineyard. Harvest the fruit of your vineyard. The third thing, and what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. You're betrothed to a woman? Go home. Go home. That's God's rule. If your home's unfinished, go finish your home. If your harvest isn't done, go partake of the harvest. You haven't had your honeymoon yet? Go have your honeymoon. God's rule for married couples was they got married and didn't work for a year. They didn't do nothing else but get to know each other. Spend time with each other. Build their home. Build, start to begin to build their life together. How do we do things? Usually, they get married and then they're both working. And they see each other like two, three, four hours a day if they're lucky, if they're not sleeping. 
run, 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 run. What about in the military? You know that the very worst place on the planet to be married is in the military? More military uh, um, marriages fail than any other marriage. Because none of that matters. The Marine Corps would say, if I wanted you to have a wife, I'd give you one. Since you got it on your own, tough luck. So what do you have when you're out in the field with those guys? They're worried about their homes. Oh, I left. My home's not finished. They're worried about the harvest. They're worried about their honeymoon. God said, hey, for those three things, I want you to make sure you got your priorities in the right place. The battle is mine. Who's going to win the battle? God wins the battle. So God says, you need to take care of these things first. Home, harvest, honeymoon. And if those things, if you're betrothed, if those things are, are things that apply to you, go take care of that. And don't worry about serving. Don't worry about fighting. Don't worry about the battle. So the officers would say, I want you to look back and see. If, is life undone? Is life not finished? Is it, is, is, are these issues in your life? If so, go. If, if they were marrying a year, they didn't serve. No matter what, they didn't serve for a year. So they could focus on their marriage. So that their marriage could be established. That puts a right priority on a relationship, right? We get things backwards today, man. Priorities on a bank account. By the way, your bank account's a lousy way to keep score in life. That's not it. That relationship. The Lord says, we cover his altar with tears. The altar is covered with tears. Lord says, I will not hear your prayer because the way you have been, the way you have treated the wife of your youth, you didn't take care of her. You didn't make it a priority. It matters to God. He wants it to be a priority. He wants them to understand the priorities. But not only did they look back, then the officer said, now, after those three things, now I want you to look inside. Look up. Battles the Lord's. Look back, is my life all scrambled? Home, harvest, honeymoon, just take care of that. Finally, look within, look inside. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there that's fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go, return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Look inside, because fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart. And if their heart was filled with fear, the officer would say, go home. You guys remember Gideon, right? Gideon had like 32,000 guys come out to help him fight the, the Midianites. And the Lord said, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. 22,000 went home. 22,000 left. But you see, if you understand the first point, the priest point, who does the battle belong to? The Lord. Can the Lord deliver with few or many? You guys remember the stories of David and Jonathan, how they had this great friendship? One of the things I think that, that David loved about Jonathan was that understanding that Jonathan had. So they're in this big battle and Jonathan's kind of hanging out with his armor bearer. That's the guy that would walk around and carry all this other weaponry so that he didn't have to carry it all. You're running around with a big old sword. 
and you got the spear, he's carrying it, and he's carrying your spare, so something goes wrong, he to make sure you get it. He's standing there with his armor bearer, and they're looking over at the enemy encamped over there, huge enemy. And Jonathan's looking at him, he looks over at his armor bearer, and he says, hey, do you believe that the battle is the Lord's? Yeah. Well, do you believe that God could deliver either with our army or you and me? Yeah. Well, let's you and me go whoop them. And so the armor bearer said, all right, let's go. So Jonathan, by himself, with his armor bearer, went out, faced the army by himself, and they fled from before him. And the Israelites see their enemies fleeing, and they're like, what's going on? They don't even know what's happening. So they all jump up and start chasing them. How did it start? With Jonathan just saying, the battle's the Lord's. And if the battle's the Lord's, it don't matter how many people come. God can give me victory as long as I'll stand. When Nehemiah came into the the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the city, they couldn't hardly build nothing because the armies would other people that would attack them and tear down things before they could get it built up. So Nehemiah put people together with their families. He said, build your home and fight for your family. And slowly they built the city out. The Bible says a man would work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Lay in the block, the foundation of his family, and fighting the enemy away. Keeping his family safe. That's how it was built back up. That's how it was put together. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord says, And I looked around for someone who would stand in the gap for the land. Someone who would stand. And there was no one. The battle's the Lord, but he's going to use us. If we're like Jonathan and we say, hey, the Lord can deliver as long as I'm willing, and I have a heart filled with faith, faith and fear won't go together, right? The Lord said, if you got fear in your heart, go home. You got faith? You trust me? We, there's nothing we can't do. You can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it'll go, right? All you need to have is faith like a mustard seed. That's not a ton. It's pretty small. That's all we got to have. So the officer would say, look inside. Look inside. And the battles that you and I fight, there wasn't something special about Jonathan. You know that, right? Jonathan wasn't some specially gifted person that, that just naturally came by the ability to trust God. He made a choice. Amen. He made a choice that said, I choose faith, not fear. Well, that's all we have to do is make that choice. I choose faith, not fear. I, I, I am encouraged every time I get a chance to, to see Jeannie Reynolds in her continuing battle with cancer. Why? Not because there's something great about Jeannie. Jeannie made a choice. I will trust God, period. If the Lord takes me, he takes me. If he, if he heals me, he heals me. But it's him. It's what's God going to do in my life. And trusting him. 
So before they went into battle, they were told, look up. The battle is the Lord's. Look back. Because if your home's not okay, don't fight. First be reconciled with your brother. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you're bringing a gift to the altar, and you're there, remember you have something, or your brother has something against you, what did the Lord say? (coughs) Hurry up, give your gift, and go deal with it. He said, leave your gift at the altar, forget it. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then come. So same way, home, harvest, honeymoon, family. Make sure those things are right. The Lord declared in a relationship between a husband and wife that prayers are hindered if that's not right. So that needs to be right. <coughs> the Lord declared a man that doesn't care for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So that's got to be factored in. If my home's in shambles, I need to take care of that. Because that's a priority to God. Take care of that. My harvest, my home, my, my wife, my family. Make sure that's right. And now you're ready to fight. Now you're ready. You're ready to face the battle. And then look inside. What is it that casts out fear in our life? The Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. How do we get perfect love? Where's perfect love come from? God. And how is that perfect love from God poured into our life? For the love of God is poured into your life by the Holy Spirit. And how do we receive more of the Holy Spirit? We keep the law and make sure we follow the Ten Commandments. And we're perfectly filled with justice and righteousness. How do we get more of the Holy Spirit? You ask. That's not very hard, is it? You ask. Look inside. Oh, Lord, I, I got some fear. I need more of you in me. Because perfect love casts out fear. I need more of you in me. More of your perfect love. More of who you are. Drive that fear out of my heart. And then just trust wholly on him. I've been there. Maybe some of us have been there at one time or another. For me... Being there is, occurs when I am at the end of me. It seems to be a, a, a common denominator for me when I reach the point where I cast out fear and trust wholly on God. Is that I'm at the bottom. Nowhere to turn. Nobody can help me. Nobody has an answer. Nobody can fix it. And then I turn to the Lord and He's there. And He feels me. And all the fear and worry and concern about it just evaporated. And the battle was his. And if God wants that battle to be a long, hard battle that takes a long time, so be it. Who's fighting it? The Lord is. What's my job? Trust him. Trust him. I love looking at the the mighty men of David, the three mighty men of David who did these incredible feats on the battlefield and everyone was able to do those incredible feats on the battlefield because they trusted the Lord. One killing 800, another killing 300, another killing nearly 1,000, all by themselves. And the one thing that it says over and over and over again about them, they trusted in the Lord and He delivered them. 
God will deliver. God works that perfect work. So this is what it was all about. Look up, look back, and then look within. And then, he said, And it shall be, when the officers have finished speaking to the people, they will make captains of the army to lead the people. There was then authority put in place. There was authority. There were captains over hundreds, captains over thousands. The army had structure to it. Before they went into battle, God set a structure. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. So there will always be authority, different people that are in authority. Anytime I've ever served in ministry, there has been positions of authority where other people either are able and willing to submit themselves to that person that leader's authority and allow them to lead or they're not if they're not able to submit to their authority they shouldn't serve there you can't serve where you can't submit you just can't do it so the the leaders the officers they would choose the captains they would choose the leadership and those guys would be over that group And they would go and fight their battles and enjoy their victories and God would watch over and keep them. But God had a a design. God had authority in place. And there still will be, always will be authority. The Lord's saying, listen, authority is important. Authority is important too. Look up, look back, look in. And then pay attention to those who are placed in authority. What did Paul say? Give honor. Give honor to those that the Lord has placed in authority over you. Give honor to them. Why? Because they're better? No. It has nothing to do with being better, right? It's a, it's a position that was given by the officers. In case of the church, it's a position given by the Lord, a calling of God. People fulfill it, and we either can submit to it or we can't. If you can't, it's okay. It just means that you can't serve in that particular area and there's another place perhaps that god would have you verse 10 he tells them that's how you're going to take a city when you go near the city to fight against it then proclaim an offer of peace to it the first thing they were supposed to do in a typical battle this is not coming into the promised land the first thing that they're supposed to do is offer peace they come listen we're laying siege against your city but if you want to give up right now we can we can have peace and this will be the taxes, your tribute that will be paid, blah, blah, blah. First, offer peace. So it shall be if they accept the offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it will be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you but makes war against you, then you will besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, who delivered it to their hands? Lord. Lord. So when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. If they accepted your offer of peace, submitted, then everybody lived. If they rejected your offer of peace and fought, then every male died. Every male within the city would die. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and all that is in the city, that's spoil. You will plunder for yourself and eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord God gives you. Thus you will do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. He's saying not in the promised land. The promised land, God had already told them to do what? Wipe them all out, right? 
Everything. Nothing. He's going he's gonna to make it real easy. Anything that breathes had to die. Because if you left it alive even a little bit, it would infect you. And you're all going to die. And what did they do? Did they take them all out? No. They disobeyed. And because they disobeyed, they were infected with the same sickness. And that same sickness cost them exactly as it had costed the nations before them. You realize there are some diseases you can't cure, right? There's nothing I can do about a dog that has rabies, is there? I can love it, feed it, give it water. Is it ever not going to have rabies? Is it ever not going to be dangerous? And if it bites me, will I be infected? If it bites my children, will they be infected? So we kill it. The same way the Lord says this this is a disease and it has to be squashed. It has to be. Now, if you believe in what the Bible lays out as an age of accountability, if you believe in that, that there's an age of accountability before a child becomes accountable to the Lord, is it merciful to kill those children that are infected with that disease? Or is it merciful to let them live until they reach the age of accountability and then are responsible for the disease that they have on their own? A lot of times we don't want to look at the things, that the, 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 the ideals that God gives through his eyes. Because if you believe in an age of accountability... If that's what you believe that the word teaches and a child is killed in war that was not at the age of accountability, where does he go? That and be with the Lord. Is that merciful? Or was it better to let him be lost in a, in a pagan society? I mean, I'm not saying that that's the only view. Okay, I'm just saying, hey. If this, is what, if this is how you read scripture, this is how you understand, you can see mercy in it. Even beyond the reality of them not infecting all of your own children. Which of you would trade your child for another? I won't do it. My son used to bring little strays home all the time. One day he brought a little stray home that was a young woman. And he wanted her to have a place to live. And she needed a place to live. But I told him, I'm not willing to sacrifice you to help her. It's not okay. She was not okay. She was not okay to be in my house. She was not okay for my son to hang out with. I put the kibosh right there. We stopped it. We were willing to do something to help her. But it wasn't going to be... In my house, it wasn't going to be an opportunity for there to be that infection, that, that sin, that whatever struggle, whatever things people are going through to be passed to my children. Because clean becomes unclean just by being in contact with unclean. You understand that, right? So, just trying to understand that, that concept that the Lord lays out. Normally in battle... Hey, if they, if they were at peace, everybody stayed, you lived with your home, you stayed in your homes, and you just became a part of the nation of Israel. If you wanted to fight, all the men were killed, and all the women and children were spared. But for the land of Canaan, there was a poison there, and God said, 
They all need to be killed. And they didn't kill them all. And as a result, that poison spread to the nation of Israel. And they were destroyed and ceased to be a nation for 2,000 years as a result of those choices. Now, he goes on. In verse 16, uh, he, he lays out, now here's how it should be for the nation of Israel. Or for the, for the land, uh, the promised land. But the, the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you will not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use them in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. So God says, if you're in a siege, take care of the natural resources. If there's fruit trees, leave them alone. They will get food off them. Have some fruit. You know, eat some fruit. Don't just tear those down. Don't just burn them. Don't just take them to the ground. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food. Uh, You may destroy and cut down to, to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Now, when we look at that, keep in mind that 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 whole section of scripture provides for us a picture of our life. And entering into the promised land is like entering into that victorious Christian walk. I mean that the the abundant life Jesus promised. How do we enter into that abundant life? Well, in order to enter into the land, the children of Israel were told to destroy all the former inhabitants. The former inhabitants that were stained with this disease of sin that would infect them. The same is true in our life. Jesus Christ comes into our life and little by little he does a work of sanctification where he is causing those things in us that are stained with sin to slowly be cut out of our life. Deal with it. You have to deal with it. Why? Because if I just leave a little bit in there, it's going to infect. If I say, I'm just going to leave a little bit of this old part of my life, because I really like this little thing. This is like my little sin pet, and I'm going to keep my little sin pet in this little corner of the little closet, and it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. Your life will be infected. will cause you problems until you deal with it, until you allow the Lord to do that inside of your life. Today, for you and I, that's the battle that they, were, that they were facing. When you conquer those strongholds in your life, don't make peace with them. Don't make peace with them. Wipe them out. Obliterate them. Anything that does not come under that, that covering of the Lord, wipe it out. Why do you want it in your life? The Bible says it like this. Cast away every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you and run with endurance the race that is set before you. If it doesn't help you, it hurts you. You understand? If it doesn't help, it hurts. How can it hurt? It's so cute. It's just little. No. Cut it out. It'll get you. 
It'll get you every single time. And that's the lesson of the children of Israel. That's the lesson that Moses is saying to them. Guys, you got to deal with it. They didn't deal with it. They went in and allowed, they made peace. They allowed (coughs) people to dwell in their midst. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, people who loved God and wanted to follow God and have every, every intention in their mind of doing what God wants them to do are sacrificing their children on the altars of Molech. How'd you get from A to B? I just let a little bit live. The Lord said, don't have pity. Don't have mercy. Trust me, the battle is whose? The Lord. Can't have fear and faith in the same heart. We got to look at it with faith. Faith says, I trust God. Even if God tells me something and I don't understand how that could possibly be right. If that's what God says, I want to do what God says. It's all going to come together. It's all going to work out. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this night, this time that we can come before you and just offer you, Father God, an opportunity to to guide us and lead us in your word. Father, I thank you for the truth of Moses' final words to the people. That these are things that matter to God. Justice. Oh, you know, oh man, what it is that the Lord has called you to do. To love justice and mercy. Lord, we just pray, God, that, Father, your spirit would work and move in our lives. Lord, that you would guide us, that you would help us as we face the battles that come before us, that we would remember to look up, that the battle is yours. To look back, and if our our family, our, our home is in shambles, go back and fix it. And then present ourselves for duty to you. And Lord, that we would look within and realize, I can't leave fear in my heart. It'll overcome my faith. Lord, give us hearts full of faith, like Jonathan that says, whether by many or few, the Lord is able. God, we thank you for your deliverance of us, Lord God. And we pray that you would give us victory over the enemies of God that reside within our hearts. That we would learn the lesson. Don't let anyone alive. Don't leave that sin in your heart. Don't leave that sickness within you. Don't leave that little thing that you're hanging on to. Saying, oh, that this is going to be okay. It's okay. May we learn the lesson of their failure. And cast aside the weights. And that sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run to win our race, our walk with God. Lord, we pray, pour out your spirit in this place. Guide us, lead us, that we might glorify you in all we do. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.